G'day, this is Tracy Wilkinson back again in the hot seat of a while Pate is sunning himself on a beach on his summer holidays. I'm taking over your podcast feed for today to bring you an episode of the Life Sciences WA Investor Meets Innovator podcast series and an episode that, again, Pete recorded with Ian Brown and Intan Oldekowska from Rex Auto. I chose this episode because, again, it's another WA story that I think is a really interesting one. The insights from Ian as the founding investor and executive chair and from Intan as co-founding inventor give you a really good insight into what it takes to do this, to take a medical product, conceive of it and develop it. And they are developing Rex Ortho and have got that to a really interesting stage. There were some great insights from this conversation and it was all how it was all about the people. You can really hear the teamwork between the two and the mutual respect that they've built up for working together over years. Ian's DD process, his due diligence process as an investor, I think is also really interesting for people who are interested in investing in the life sciences and how they work together. They really share some practical details of that, which is great to hear. And I really liked this conversation, so I hope you do too. And if you like it and you'd like to hear more of the same, check out seasons one and two of the podcast series in your Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast feed. And that's it from me. Enjoy. Welcome to the Life Sciences WA Investment Series. Investor meets Innovator. Hosted by Dr. Tracy Wilkinson and me, Peter Birch. In this limited podcast series, we've brought together a number of conversations with experts from medical science to finance to help demystify investing in biotech, medtech, and digital health, also known as the life sciences. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, seas, and community. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. The information in this podcast is general in nature and should not be taken as a substitute for professional or financial advice. Welcome back to the Investor Meets Innovator podcast. My name is Peter Birch and I'm joined by my co-host Tracy Wilkinson. Hello again for episode three, Tracy, in season two. Good morning, Pete. Nice to be back with you and looking forward to this conversation. It's a good one with a real WA flavour story, I think. And lots of really good insights for those interested in what it takes to create a medtech startup. What I like about this conversation that I had that you'll hear in a minute is that it has those two different perspectives. On one hand, the, the inventor and the co-founder, Intan Oldekowska from Rex Ortho, as well as at the same time, a conversation with Ian Brown, the executive chair. And what I liked is that you could get those two different perspectives. On one hand, the founding inventor, the one that's doing the doing, and then the investor side and how their involvement uh, was originally in, in the process and how that's changed over time. I thought it was a fascinating perspective. It was really fascinating. And again, they gave us a real good overview, but then got down into the into the weeds, but in a practical and tangible way on a couple of points, which I thought was really informative for people. And big takeaways for this one for me are conversations and people. Absolutely. Well, let's get stuck into it. Here's the conversation I had with Ian Brown and Intan Oldekowska from Rex Ortho. 
So Ian, Intan, thank you so much for joining on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. You're welcome. It'd be great to get your help to set the scene. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do in the context of Rex Ortho. Perhaps, Intan, I can start with you. Thanks, Pete. So my name is Intan Oldakovska. I'm the Chief Scientific Officer of Rex Ortho. So really what that means is I lead the evidence building for the product, including biomechanical testing, animal testing, and now preparing for a clinical trial for the product. Got you. And Ian? So, Pete, I'm the executive chairman, and what that means is that I focus on driving the direction of the company, the direction of the relationship with investors, shareholders, driving the whole team towards our milestones and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Super. And in turn, Rex Ortho, what is it? Who's it for? What problems it solve? So we're a platform technology. So the core technology is really an expandable screw for orthopedic fixations, essentially fixing plates and nails to bones. Our lead indication is in proximal femoral fractures. So essentially hip fractures that often happen to the elderly population. And we're really trying to stop failure within those populations. So with these patients, often a failure of that fixation means that they're no longer mobile, they end up in a nursing home or in a lot of cases, mortality as well. So we really want to try and reduce the incidence of the failure of this fixation with our expandable screw FREX device. We are also exploring other indications that also has that clinical unmet need as next stages of the company's progress. Got you. Tell me a little bit more about the, the journey. How long has the organization been around and how did it all come about? And as I understand, you've been there from the start, right? That's right. The project really started in 2012, so hard to believe, over 10 years ago. So myself and my co-founder, Matt Oldakovsky, were tapped on the shoulder by old supervisor from Curtin University, Professor Brett Kirk, who was approached by a surgeon with a need. And he had a sketch on a napkin, Professor Philip Hardcastle. At that time, he was looking for biomedical engineers to essentially create a device to solve this need that he had. And so myself and Matt were tapped on the shoulder to come back and start our PhD research. And that's where the journey started. It's been a roller coaster. We've been in a few pivots since that 2012 when the project started. And it was a really steep learning curve for me. My background for myself and Matt, our background is in mechanical engineering. We know a little bit about biomedical engineering, but we really had to learn and also the commercialization aspect of it, we were completely new at that time. You know, learning all about regulatory requirements, intellectual property, patents, the whole lot within the first few years was a real journey. We've sort of moved around in 2018, we started the Erex Ortho company, we received investment and here we are now, I guess 10 years later with our product that we've done animal testing on and we're starting preparing for clinical trial. I love those journey conversations of, individuals who haven't done the whole kind of experience before very technically or very knowledgeable in it, but often if they probably knew all the bits and pieces that were ahead of them, they might not have undergone that journey. So it's probably a good thing. But Ian, from your side, what's your connection and journey like with the organization? I was in London in 2009 and 2010, and then I came back to Australia and moved to Perth in 2011. And I think I first found out about the project in 2012 had a few conversations, talked to Ryan McDougall at Curtin Innovation, talked to Russell Nichols, met Intan and Matt. I think 2015 was really when I really started to take some interest in what this was. 
And interestingly for me, I had been in London working at Imperial College on orthopedic devices, on orthopedic products. And so I learned a lot about the market when I was there. And then when I was in Perth and sort of 2015, 2017, got more involved and met in Tan and Matt and thought I could help here with some networks that I've got. I could help perhaps form the company and get it moving. And I had another conversation with Ryan McDougall and Russell Nichols, and they're the key guys at the time at Curtin University IP Innovation Commercialization Office. And then I met Matt and Intan, and I went to a couple of meetings with them and saw how they presented the product and what their focus was. And I just got more and more involved and interested and started helping. And then I helped form the company in July 2017. Got it. And still around today. Still around today. (laughs) And so is that right? Then we've got that today's conversation, particularly we'll have the perspectives from both sides, from the investor side and the inventor or the co-founder side. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So from my perspective, I was looking at it as an investor and I was thinking, okay, how can we build the business plan around this? What's the focus? What's the strategy and things like that? Mm, so mm. that was very much my focus. The who and the how, so to speak. Tell me a little bit more then on that investing side, Ian, your decision-making process around this opportunity. You know, we often talk around doing your due diligence as an investor and exploring that in detail. Walk me through what that was like back in the day. I became quite interested because the idea came from a surgeon and it came from a need. And it really came from that surgical suite, the surgeons trying to do the best in various circumstances and various surgical cases and so on. And they came up with an idea. And I like the idea of things that are driven by the end user with that kind of concept. Mm -hmm. And then I met Matt and Intan and spent more time with them and felt that this really was an important piece because they spent a lot of time doing what's called voice of surgeon and going out and talking to other surgeons and asking them questions to understand what a wider audience of surgeons Mm. want. So rather than just saying, okay, one surgeon came up with this, which was great, what do other surgeons think? Mm. And what are they looking for? And I like the way they invested themselves into that process. And from a financial investment point of view, it takes some risk off the table. So, you know, you're always putting money into projects to move to a milestone to reduce risk. But these guys had already reduced some risk by putting the effort or the time investment into going out and finding out if surgeons actually want something like this. Mm -hmm. So I think that really ticked a few boxes for me. Got you. And so tell me a bit more about that due diligence process and anything else that was really important for you. Yeah, so due diligence comes from that point, understanding how much customer interaction there's been, how many customers have said they're looking for something like this. But then what I did was I contacted one of the guys that I worked with in London, Philip Proctor, who is an ex-executive from one of the multinational orthopedics companies called Stryker. And I said to Philip, here's a really cool idea. They've talked to a few surgeons. With your lens as a corporate executive, what would you think of this if it came to you? And so I interviewed him and he gave me a lot of information. And then we talked about who else I could talk to. 
I actually went to London. I was going to London anyway, but I went to London and met with a few surgeons and interviewed them. And so my due diligence was about walking around and talking to end users myself mm. and getting a feel and talking to executives and getting a sense of what do they think of it. But more importantly, what is the milestones that would need to be met to be able to actually get traction and attract a partner organization to that? Yeah. Some of those things that you just mentioned, there's some of those keywords were what people think or what they almost like what they felt. And sometimes when I think of due diligence, I might think of running a few formulas on a spreadsheet and looking purely at the numbers. So how much of it do you think is that based on the hard numbers and running what the final kind of figure says in a cell when you look at things versus what something looks and feels like based on your experiences as an investor? I think in this kind of case, so they hadn't started selling a product mm. and that wasn't going to happen for a year or two. So there were a number of milestones that needed to be met before we got to that point. But they had tested the device in the laboratory and they had done a number of force tests and various things in the lab that you could look at and look at the numbers and it had a better fixation strength than other devices in the market. Mm. But there was a feature that came out of the customer discovery and the voice of surgeons that was about removability. And it was like, we knew that the device could give better fixation. And we knew that that was one of the key parameters that was the inventive element at the beginning. But the voice of customer actually said, we're passionate about fixation, but we actually want removability as well. And Matt and Intan found really neat ways to address removability. So in a lot of ways, this device had some mathematical things that you could look at. Mm. But in a lot of ways, it was more than that. It was more about what could you actually do with it and what did that mean to the surgeon? And it became important. And it was like a secondary parameter emerged that actually became very important. Yeah. That's a great use of an example to demonstrate that importance of speaking with those end users and understanding that why many times and then solving for those problems, not the immediate kind of stated needs, or perhaps as you alluded to there, that those also addressing some of those secondary, but also very important ones too. In turn, from your side, I guess due diligence is something that quite often we think that an investor might do on an organization that they're going to be investing in. But there's certainly an opportunity for an organization for so for the inventors or founders to do their DD the other way, right? Absolutely. And I think when we first started the company, as I said in my journey, that was really early in, I was probably pretty naive in understanding that. And I think I was actually really lucky that I found, obviously, Ian's been great. We're still a team five years on and we've known mm. each other for a long time. And we've had really good investors coming into the company. So I think in some sense, I probably didn't do a lot of due diligence at that time, but I've been really lucky. And I think through my journey, I definitely encourage inventors and founders to do a really like a proper due diligence on your investors, because I think it is important that your investors are aligned in terms of their expectations of what the product is about and what the company that you want to build because that misalignment will create friction. And I think this is something that I know Liddy was one of your interviewers. And I remember Liddy saying that most investment is longer than some marriages. So it's like you're going to be <laughs> together for a long time. You need to like each other and you need to have an open conversation. I think especially in the medical device and life science industry, 
is really complex. There are so many pieces at play. The inventors and the founders, they're always doing their best, but not things don't go as planned often. Mm, mm. <laughs> and so I think you want investors that understands that and that can be accommodating and that can work with you through those challenges rather than being, of course, you have to be hard-nosed. There's always a return investment that you need to make. But I think alignment of the expectations and the aims of the company and the mission of what, you know, the company is about, I think is really critical. And you just have to get along. Like it's <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I think that's like one of the first thing. If you yeah. can't get along, you can't be on the same page. When mm. talking to your investor, you're setting yourself up for failure. Well, if I think about Intan yourself and with Ian specifically, in that professional relationship for quite a while now and roles must have changed over time after just going initially from setting the organization up to where things are at now. How would you say that the roles have changed over time and what's really driven that? I'd love also afterwards to get your thought on this, Ian. I think over time, my role in the company is at the beginning, it was really very technical. I had milestones that we agreed on and I was sort of literally doing that. And I think over time, it's becoming more of a, we're all gaining experience in this industry and this particular kind of area. I think there's a lot more discussion around, okay, what are the milestones that are important? What are system strategic directions? So I think I have now a lot more input into a discussion with Ian on the strategy side as we've kind of been growing in the company together. Got you. And Ian, what about yourself? I think that's right. In some respects, our roles haven't changed, Mm. but in many respects, they've broadened. And from the get-go, we had always included everyone in the team in all the meetings. And so even board meetings, everyone is at those meetings. Mm. And that gives a lot of transparency, but it also enables us to debrief and discuss strategies and think about, is that milestone actually right or is it this? Mm. And so I think our roles haven't changed. They've just got broader. And as the milestones have moved a little, we've taken those into our roles. Yeah, got you. Intan, I imagine though one thing that would have definitely changed as well is the team and whether it's the actual people involved or the roles that are required. What does the team look like today and how's that changed over time and maybe what's driven some of those changes? And I think actually similar to the answer to my earlier question, that the core team hasn't changed a whole lot over the last five years, interestingly, but we have expanded to include a lot more consultants and new surgeons and advisors to include within kind of our extended team. And I think being at the beginning, being the technical sort of founders and doing everything ourselves through the research, myself and Matt, over time, we kind of had to know where the limits of our expertise is and when we need to start bringing in new expertise into the team. And so I think we're learning to delegate and find the right people to fill those gaps. And so we now work with Vettomaki, just based in Sydney, who has Lincoln Black, the principal designer there, has a really deep experience on the manufacturing and the kind of taking a concept to manufacturing and to patient aspects. Mm. So he's filled a really great need within the company. And we've also brought on more regulatory expertise into the company and also surgeons within us to lead the clinical trial. We needed a younger surgeon that's actually doing the clinical, all these trials now. And so it's really about expanding the team to fill those gaps, but the core founding team is still remains yeah. the same. I imagine, Ian, as from an investor's point of view, that would 
give you a fair bit of confidence and reassurance when you've got that kind of initial team that can get things done, but also identify when to bring in those, that particular expertise to hit some of those core milestones along the way, right? I think that's dead right. And their ability, as Intan said, to call out when they're outside of their comfort zone, but also the way they go about using their network to find out who are the right people to bring in Mm. and meeting them a few times and getting to know them before we commit. I think that whole process has worked well and which is another great success that Intan and Matt bring to the team, the way they go about, because it's all about people. It's all about relationships and using the networks and talking to people that you trust to find the right people to bring into the team, Mm. such a small team. I think it's really important, this people part of it. Absolutely. Moving on, if I think about Rex Ortho being a success story out of Western Australia, I'll stick with you, Ian, for a moment. What do you think are the main factors that have contributed to its success? It's probably... Where I was just a moment ago talking about the team and the people and those things, but I want to bring the board into this because when we got started, myself, I formed the company with Matt and Intan, Curtin was ready to come on board. We found an investor and he was going to come on the board. He nominated a second director to come on the board and then the inventors nominated another director. And these were amazingly skilled and knowledgeable people in the orthopedics market and engineering expertise. Mm. I was really amazed at the people that we had on the board of Rex Ortho. To this day, they've lent in, they add so much value from my personal point of view as executive chairman. It gives me a forum to ask questions when I'm not sure about something. I've got some peers that I can talk to and I can do that with Matt and Intan and everyone in the room and we find the right answers together. I think people, the team, enlarged team, and even the consultants that Intan talked about before, I think we've been lucky. We've found the right people and we've made our way in growing that team. But I think it's the board has contributed a great deal. Yeah. Intan, anything else you'd add that you think has contributed to the success? I completely agree with Ian. I think the people and the fact that we all click and have a good working relationship within the team and we... I think also being able to have empathy for kind of each other's perspective, I think that's really important because I think, as I said, Rexworth had a really good journey, but there's always ups and downs over the last five years. And I think the fact that everyone's really committed to getting a good product to improve patients' Mm. lives, I think it's important that mission was shared by everyone in the team. I love that there's so much positive vibes about how well everyone's got along for such a long time. But as you touched on in 10, there is going to be from time to time moments where people may not agree or there might be the need to really put relationships to the test. What would you attribute, you know, some of these key factors to get through some of those times that might have been challenging or there's been disagreements within the group and how you've done that and perhaps maybe like what you've learned from Ian specifically or others within your team? I think the ability to listen, (laughs) and this is, you know, surprisingly not common, (laughs) being able to kind of really listen to your peers and then take on board what they're saying rather than having a rigid view of what the situation is from your perspective. And often you don't know the the board, the board might not see everything that's going on within the technical team and same with the business development. We work together, we have obviously weak meetings, but outside of that, we're working independently. 
So I think willingness to actually see each other's perspective and then take that into consideration and maybe your answer that you thought was right is no longer right and then potentially sometimes compromising in light of that, I think it's really key. And I think Ian's amazing at listening to what the views of all the board members and there are sometimes often differences in those views, but then taking on board everyone's perspective and then nutting that out and then finding the right kind of strategy to go forward, I think is really critical. Good answer. Ian, what about yourself? I like what Bintan said, and I would just build on it. And for me, when there are differences of opinions or there's need to talk a bit more about it, I make more time. I have another meeting. I set aside another chunk of time, Mm. like another hour, to get everyone together again to have a second meeting on the same topic. Or we agree that we've got to go and talk to some people to find out some information before we have another meeting. Mm. So we've got to unlock where we are. And so what's the method for that? The method is provide more time and discuss it more deeply or go and find out some information and then come back together. So I reckon there's always a way to do it and maybe even... There's been times when we've been in meetings and I had a fourth topic that I wanted to cover and I just throw it out the window because mm. I realise this actually needs more time what we're on right now. So I'll throw that other item out the window and let's just double down on it. Yeah. A few like actionable things there that people can do because I think in time you, you alluded to, it's easy to say, let's listen, but it's sometimes when you're in the moment can be difficult to get yourself out of that a little bit and put yourself in the other person's perspectives. Lots of value there. Thank you for sharing. Lastly, then, to round out the conversation, I think about the future and where to from here on some good foundations and seeing some strong wins. What are you looking forward to in terms of the future of Rex Ortho Intent? Success to me is really when our technology can improve patients' lives and obviously also create a return for our investors. I think that's key. But I think first and foremost for me, yes, I guess the product founder is really that clinical impact. And so from here, really, that's what we're trying to work towards, really getting to that clinical trial and being able to build the evidence to demonstrate that the product can really improve patients' lives. And I hope that as this podcast series can help inspire other, I guess, research founders and that are working in this space to think about extending their impact beyond their research lab and really thinking about that translational aspect, it does require a different mindset and it does require them to work with people from outside their field (laughs) and listening to others' perspectives, more the commercial side, but it can be really rewarding and it can really extend their impact. Yeah. And I would add, we've been building a lot of value and you'll see us build more value in the coming months and years, but we're also about unlocking value. And I think it's been a challenging time during the COVID pandemic. The regulators in Europe actually changed some of the regulations that we need to achieve or the milestones that we need to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so we've doubled down to focus on those. And I think we're going to make very good progress in the next 12 months. And people will see that in the public domain. They'll start to see two or three different things unlock. And I think that will create a real sort of stepping point for the company. Exciting times ahead. Look, Ian, Intan, I appreciate you sharing the journey so far and getting us excited about where to from here. Looking forward to following along the journey. Thanks so much for making the time. Thanks so much, Pete. Pleasure. Thank you. 
This podcast has been brought to you by Life Sciences WA, which is Western Australia's Life Sciences Industry Association, in collaboration with Talking Health Tech. It's been made possible with funding support from the Western Australian Government through the New Industries Fund and the Ready Initiative, managed by MTP Connect on behalf of the Medical Research Future Fund and with the support of AntHealth. If you liked this episode, please complete the feedback survey. There's a link to that survey you can access from within your podcast player. You can also follow Life Sciences WA on LinkedIn and Twitter or subscribe to the mailing list at lifesciencewa.com.au. Thank you.